Welcome to the Money Metals Midweek Memo, news and commentary relating to sound money, the precious metals markets, and the economy. I'm your host, Mike Meharry. Thanks for tuning in. Oh, hello. So, if you're subscribed to the Money Metals Market Wrap podcast, you may be a little bit confused right now. You might think, did I miss half the week? Is it Friday already? Unfortunately, no. It is Wednesday, and uh, it's a new year. So, a new year means new things, and one of those new things is a new podcast here at Money Metals. And as I'm sure you gathered from the intro, the title of this podcast is the Money Metals Midweek Memo. And the plan is for me, yours truly, to be here every Wednesday with news and commentary relating to the precious metals markets, to the economy, to investing, and stuff. So I'm pretty excited about this opportunity, and I thought today I'd just take a little bit of time and introduce myself, tell you a little bit about my background, my philosophy, maybe give you a little bit of a sense of what the show is going to be about. And uh, honestly, this is also an opportunity to iron out the technical aspects of producing a brand new show. Based on my experience in publishing my very first article over at moneymetals.com slash news yesterday, I'm pretty certain there will be some glitches. I basically had to write that article twice because not knowing the nuances of the back end of the website, I managed to completely lose the first draft of what I wrote. So, um, yeah, so we're going to iron out any technical issues uh, here today and then... Next week, we will get into the actual format of the show, um, and I'm excited about that. So, you're probably wondering, who is this guy in your ear? As I said at the top of the show, my name is Mike Meharry, and uh, I came to Money Metals from another gold company where I've worked for uh, the better part of five years doing market analysis and news reporting, uh, very similar to what I'll be doing here at Money Metals. And just really excited about this opportunity uh, when the folks at Money Metals approached me, we started talking, uh, I quickly realized that this was going to be a great opportunity for me to really plug into a, a strong company. And, you know, as you're probably aware, Money Metals has been ranked uh, the nation's best overall online precious metals dealer by Investopedia. Um the company is getting ready to move into its brand new 37,000 square foot facility. Uh, and uh, it's going to be one of the largest, or actually the largest, precious metals depository in the Western United States. Uh, so, a lot of resources with Money Metals, and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited also about the company's commitment to promoting sound money, because that's a passion of mine. And uh, I'll get into that a little bit here in just uh, a few minutes. So first, let me just tell you a little bit about who I am and my background, who this guy is that's talking to you today. So my background is actually in journalism. I know, I know, don't turn me off. I'm not one of those journalists, I promise. 
No, in all seriousness, uh, I did go back to school later in life, back in 2006. Um, I went back to school, got a second degree in journalism, and it was a great decision for me. And I know the state of media is pretty awful. I know journalists get a bad rap, and there are a lot of really bad journalists out there, but there are some good ones. And I'll be honest, I learned a lot of very valuable skills in journalism school. I always had a knack for writing, and I was able to refine that. And the other thing that you learn in journalism school is how to do good research and tell good stories. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for that academic background. And uh, it was a second degree for me. My first foray through school once uh, I graduated from high school back way back in the uh, deep depths of 1985, uh, I went to the University of Kentucky and earned a bachelor's degree in accounting. So I do have an academic background in uh, business. Uh, never really used that, though. I spent about 15 years doing um, a music as a performing musician, worked in the airline industry for a number of years, and, uh, and then, uh, like I said, I went back to school back in 2006 and earned that journalism degree. Uh, coming out of there, I worked for a little bit at the St. Petersburg Times, uh, which is now the Tampa Bay Times, which is one of the, in my opinion, one of the better newspapers um, in the country. And then I moved to Lexington, Kentucky, which is where I grew up, and spent about two years as the sports editor for a small paper in uh, Woodford County. And one of the most enjoyable jobs I've ever had. Didn't make any money, but uh, it was really a, a neat experience to be able to uh, cover sports in a, a small community, one high school, um, and, and really enjoyed that. I love sports, played hockey, or still play hockey. So I'm a big sports guy, and uh, it, great experience. Unfortunately, like I said, there's, there's, there's not a whole lot of money in uh, sports journalism and uh, ended up working for about five years for the NBC affiliate in Lexington, Kentucky uh, as a uh, website producer. So I did a lot of um, uh, breaking news and, and that type of things in a uh, web-based environment and then eventually kind of evolved into doing more uh, marketing work and financial reporting. And uh, as, as I mentioned, came from a, another gold company to the, uh, the money metals world. Uh, another part of my story that's important to understand is uh, around about the time I got out of um, journalism school, uh, it was the, the era of the Tea Party and got a little bit politically involved back in those days and ended up getting involved with an organization called the 10th Amendment Center. And I am still with the 10th Amendment Center. I'm the National Communications Director there. And you can uh, check out the work that we do over at 10thamendmentcenter.com. And really, the focus of that organization is the Constitution and um, promoting constitutionally limited government. And of course, we don't have that. And part of what we're trying to do at the 10th Amendment Center is to restore some of uh, what the founding generation viewed as good government. Um, but my work at the 10th Amendment Center very much informs my work in the realm of sound money. And 
one of the reasons that I was really excited about the opportunity to come over to Money Metals is that the company has a very uh, a strong commitment, not to just selling gold and silver, but they understand its value as sound money and the importance of sound money and how the world of fiat currency and central bank manipulated money has created so many of the problems that we face today from an economic and from a government standpoint. Um, so my work at the Tenth Amendment Center and the work that I'll be doing at Money Metals and then some some offshoot work with the Sound Money Defense League, uh, all of that kind of works together in in the same philosophical pot, if that makes sense. Through my work at the Tenth Amendment Center, I've written a couple of books. Uh, one is called Constitution Owner's Manual, and it is just an overview of the important clauses in the Constitution from the perspective of those who ratified it. So, kind of getting into the whole idea of constitutional originalism, explaining what the Constitution meant and how they understood it at the time that it was ratified. Um and also gets into some of the uh, the political philosophy that underlies the Constitution that was kind of driving the founding generation uh, through the War for Independence. Uh, second book is called Our Last Hope, Rediscovering the Lost Path to Liberty, and it's more a book of strategy, talking about how we can use state and local power to rein in overreaching federal government. Um, so... No sense in getting into a lot of that here, but you can check out that work over at the Tenth Amendment Center, tenthamendmentcenter.com. It's all spelled out. So, since I am admittedly a bit of a nerd, um, I've been reading and studying economics really since high school. In fact, I wrote my first economic article or had my first, it wasn't really an article, it was a letter to the editor that uh, was published by the Lexington Herald Leader, uh, but it was my first published economic work, and it was all about the importance of free international trade. So, I've been interested in economics for a really long time. Uh, when I went through business school at the University of Kentucky, I took a lot of economics classes. Um, in fact, I think I was only one class short of having a minor in economics. And even after I got out of school, I continued to just read a lot of economic theory and, uh, you know, that branched into money and finance. It's just something that's always interested me. I am an adherent to the Austrian School of Economics, so Mises, Hayek, um, Rothbard. That's kind of my, my wheelhouse in terms of, uh, of my economic philosophy. I think economics is extremely important, and I think it is very poorly understood. I think it's poorly understood even by people that are making very important economic decisions, which accounts for a lot of the problems that we face in terms of our, uh, our economic life. Um, I think a lot of people are under the impression that you can just kind of wish economics away. It's like, it's like there's these theories out there, but they don't really mean anything. And that's not right. You know, supply and demand is a thing. And you can try to pretend like supply and demand doesn't exist. You can try to pretend like those laws aren't going to impact things, but they do, right? Uh, you know, 
So you, you end up with bad policies because people are just trying to ignore those economic laws. You don't ignore gravity, right? I don't go jump off the roof of my house and think I'm not going to break my leg just because it would be nice if I could fly. And yet, that's that seems to be the philosophy of a lot of people that are making economic decisions. You know, I can I can just if 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 I think it's going to be good, then we'll just do it, and and there'll be no bad results. Um, perfect example is uh, out in California. They are um, about to implement a twenty dollar an hour minimum wage for fast food workers. I think it's for uh, fast food workers that work for companies that have more than 60 locations nationwide. Um, And I was just reading a couple of weeks ago that uh, one of the big Pizza Hut franchisees in California uh, to cope with this is just going to quit delivering pizzas. And all of those people who were pizza delivery people for this uh, company are no longer going to have jobs because he can't afford to pay them $20 an hour to deliver pizzas. And that kind of goes to what I'm talking to. You know, supply and demand is the thing. And no matter what the government does, the minimum wage is always zero, right? I mean, they can mandate a wage. They can't mandate that somebody hire you. And so, a lot of these people are going to go from making whatever they were, which, you know, I'm sure they didn't think was enough, but now they're going to be making zero. That is an example of the laws of economics having consequences, whether you like it or not. You know, you've got politicians out there and they think, oh, we're going to do this great thing and we're going to help the the low-income restaurant workers and, and, you know, they have the best of intentions, I guess, but there are always consequences to economic policies. And so I'll talk a lot about that on this show, about the consequences of economic policies. I'm a big believer in Bastiat's seen and unseen. Bastiat said, he was a French economist, and he said that a good economist doesn't just account for what you see, but also accounts for the unseen. So, you know, in the uh, the minimum wage thing, the scene is... What you see is people making more money because the government has mandated a higher wage. And you can look at that and you can see those people and say, good for them, they're better off. What you don't see is the 1,200 people who are laid off because the restaurant can no longer afford to pay them to deliver pizzas. That's the unseen. Now, fortunately, in this instant. So it was seen because we had some some good reporting, but so many times the unseen is completely missed. So we have to focus on both the seen and the unseen when it comes to the economy. Politicians only want to look at the scene, right? They only want to look at the thing that they can brag about that I did this. Uh, they never want to take the blame for the consequences of the actions that they take. So, as I've said, I'm a huge advocate of sound money, gold, silver, I don't know, maybe even cryptocurrency, things that are not controlled by the government. I think the market should determine what money is, not government edict. The fact that we have government fiat currency is part of the reason we have such big and powerful government, right? If it wasn't for the Federal Reserve's ability to basically just create money out of thin air, 
The federal government wouldn't be able to borrow and spend the way that it does. I have often said that the Federal Reserve is the engine that powers the biggest, most powerful government in history. Its ability to create money backstops the federal government's ability to borrow and spend. We used to live in a world of sound money, right? It used to be that our money was actually backed by gold. No more. We now have a world of fiat currency that's backed by nothing, and whenever the Federal Reserve wants to, it can just create more. Uh, that's exactly what it did during the pandemic, right? It created trillions of dollars out of thin air. It bought billions of dollars of U.S. Treasuries, took those bonds off the market, allowed the government to borrow more, injected that cash into the economy, and we saw the results, right? You see the results still today when you go to the gas station or the grocery store in the form of the inflation tax. So, our entire economy today is built on easy money. It can't function without it. Borrowing and spending make the economy hum. And I'm not just talking about government borrowing and spending, consumer borrowing and spending, corporate borrowing and spending. Everything is predicated on low interest rates and the ability to get easy loans. So we live in a world that is flooded with debt. You will often hear me say that this economy cannot function in the high interest rate environment that we're in today, right? The Fed has taken interest rates from 0%, where they were for more than a decade. It's taken it from there to 5.5%. Now, 5.5% isn't necessarily high in historic terms, but it is very high for the level of debt that we have in the economy. And it's not just the U.S. economy. I mean, the entire world is addicted to easy money. Every government has its own fiat currency. Governments love fiat currency. So, over a decade of easy money policies incentivized borrowing to quote-unquote stimulate the economy. And as a result, governments, individuals, corporations are all borrowed to the hilt, right? That was all well and good when interest rates were hovering around zero. But when central banks had to hike rates in order to battle the inevitable price inflation, it pulled the rug out from under the borrow-and-spend economy. Get this. According to projections by the International Monetary Fund, global government debt will hit $97.1 trillion. Uh, that was in 2023. That's a 40% increase since 2019. By 2028, the IMF projects that the global public debt, this is government debt, will exceed 100% of global GDP. The only other time that that's happened was at the height of the pandemic lockdowns. Now, Americans like to brag about being number one. Well, when it comes to debt, <laughs> we are number one. The U.S. national debt makes up 32.4% of the total global government debt. So, Unless governments, and the U.S. is not a, a, an exception here, unless governments dramatically cut spending and or significantly raise taxes, this debt spiral is only going to get worse, especially if interest rates remain elevated. And that's why I think the Fed is talking about rate cuts, even though CPI right now isn't anywhere near that mythical 2% target, right? We all know that inflation isn't really beat. I mean, sure, it's not increasing the way it was a year ago, but it's still out there, right? 
So, here's the analogy. It's like a heroin addict. Heroin feels good, so I hear. It's party time, right? Get the heroin, wee! But of course, taking heroin isn't good for you. It's addictive, and there's always the chance of an overdose. Now, if you're addicted to heroin, what happens if the dealer cuts the addict off? Well, the addict goes into withdrawal, right? And from what I understand, withdrawal is pretty awful. The addict would rather get high than deal with that pain, no matter how much the risk of the high is. Especially when it's the risk of long-term health. They'd rather have that immediate high than deal with the immediate pain and have health down the road. So, we have an economy that is addicted to easy money. The Fed is the drug pusher. And every once in a while, the inherent problems with addiction raise their ugly head, right? In the case of the economy, it's price inflation, asset bubbles. So, the pusher says, you know, I'd better cut you off. So, the Fed raises interest rate. It's Uh, It tightens up monetary policy, and then the economy goes into withdrawal. Bubbles pop. The stock market deflates. We start to see a bunch of defaults. People can't borrow and spend anymore, so the economy starts to slow down. Eventually, it spirals into a a recession. Uh, In the case of 2008, we go into a full-blown financial crisis. Well, the dealer doesn't like to see the addict suffer, so eventually it starts supplying the drug again. That's about where we are. The Fed is trying to get the economy high again before it completely crashes. So we have this cycle. You know, we saw 2008, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates after the dot com bubble popped and it blew up this, uh, this housing bubble. And then in about 2006, Fed said, oh, you know what? We've about peaked out these rate hikes. And then the economy started to get shaky, and we started to see problems in the subprime market, so the Fed started to try to cut interest rates. 2007, the Fed was already cutting interest rates in 2007. And then in 2008, the whole thing fell apart. And what did the Fed do? It went back to zero. It launched quantitative easing. It did easy money on steroids. And that blew up another bubble. And that bubble was starting to pop. If you remember back in 2018, in the fall of 2018, we saw a stock market crash. The Fed had been raising interest rates. It had been doing balance sheet reduction. And all of a sudden, when we had that big stock market crash in the fall of 2018, the Fed reversed course. It started doing quantitative easing again, started cutting interest rates. This was before COVID. And I really think that the pandemic kind of bailed the Fed out, right? The pandemic allowed the Fed to go just all in on the easy money, right? Because the government, was, uh, everything was shut down. So, the Fed was able to put this easy money policy on steroids. But we finally got the end result, right? We saw the price inflation, and now the Fed's trying to fix that. And it's just not sustainable. So... Really, where we are is, is that the problems inherent with addiction are going to rear their ugly heads again, right? We're going to have more inflation, more bubbles, more malinvestments. Here's the thing about drug addiction. One of two things is, is going to happen. Either the addict suffers through the whole withdrawal process and gets clean, or he dies from the drugs. That's it. So, either the economy is going to have to crash, and we're going to have to suffer through a deep recession to cleanse out the malinvestments and deflate the artificial bubbles, or... 
the Fed just keeps supplying the drugs until the dollar crashes. Now, I think the overdose is the more likely scenario, but neither is good. So, when you understand the extent to which the economy is beholden to the Federal Reserve and to easy money, it becomes much easier to understand what's going on in the markets. So, really what I want to do with this particular show is to take the news of the day, the latest jobs report, the latest Fed report, the latest news on the deficit, uh, the latest you know spending bill coming out of Congress, to take the news of the day, and to contextualize it within this broader framework, understanding that we have an economy that is addicted to easy money and debt, and to try to take the events of the day and, again, contextualize them so that we can put them into a perspective of where is this going to lead us, not just tomorrow, but six months from now, a year from now, five years from now, because you know, the economy is unfolding as we move forward. And I think if you listen to a lot of mainstream financial media, you know, Fox Business or CNBC or, or any of those, CNN, any of those news sources, they tend to basically have a time horizon that goes back about two weeks and goes forward about 24 hours, right? They don't tend to look much further ahead than uh, next week, and they certainly don't put anything into any kind of historical context. It It boggles my mind that we've had this inflation fight and these rate increases, and virtually nobody is putting this into the context of 2006, 2007, 2008, because there are so many parallels. And I will get into things like that in the show. I will try to put it into an economic context, a historical context, and a future-looking context context, all within this framework of Austrian economics and the understanding that ultimately we need sound money. If we don't have sound money, we're going to have all of the problems that come with living in a world of fiat currency that's constantly devaluing. And then as we talk about these things, the goal is how can we protect ourselves? How can we be prepared? And of course, I believe that precious metals is one of the important things that we need to have uh, in our portfolios in order to protect ourselves uh, from what the government is doing to us and doing to our money over the long term. So, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited that Money Metals has given me the opportunity to have this platform. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I will always do is I will encourage you to consider precious metals in your portfolio. If you haven't done it already, you definitely need to. You know, only about 1% of investors have any exposure at all to precious metals. And I think it's an integral part of your uh, your investment portfolio. Now, I'm not one of these people that's going to say, you know, sell everything and just buy gold and silver. I mean, you know, if you want to do that, go for it. But I'm more of the, uh, the um, you know, diversify your portfolio kind of guy. And I think it's important that you have exposure to precious metals. And Money Metals is a fantastic company to get your precious metals from. You can call them up. if you want to talk to somebody. Uh, They can help you figure out what products are going to be best for you, gold, silver, coins, bars, all of those things. Or if you're already savvy, you can actually order online or you can chat online over at moneymetals.com. So uh, check that out. If you haven't, 
considered precious metals. Do it today. And again, really looking forward to uh, bringing this show to you. Once we get into it next week, it'll be more of a format that will kind of make sense other than me just rambling about myself. Uh, we'll be covering the news of the day, but really excited about getting started with the show. And um, you can check it out over at moneymetals.com. Follow us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on YouTube. You can check out all of those things. And uh, feel free to contact me. My email is mike.mahary, mike.m-a-h-a-r-r-e-y at moneymetals.com. would love to hear from you. Uh, always interested in people sending me news that they find or show ideas. Love to hear from folks. So uh, looking forward to getting started next week with the show. And uh, appreciate you listening to this. And we'll talk to you next week.